interacting and building a team of just amazing people have been the funnest thing for me. I think it's a combination of just seeing people do their best work, creating a culture that people love coming to work and, and love doing amazing stuff and, and inspiring others. So I think, you know, most entrepreneurs, it's all about the people. And I think that's what I really find passion in. Welcome back to Founder Vision. I am your host, Brian Gupton uh, with Clearview, and I am joined today by the co-founder and CEO of Sendoso, Chris uh, Rudy Grapp. What's going on, Brian? Thanks for having me today. Yeah, the, glad we could finally make this uh, happen. Been really looking forward to chatting with you today. Maybe if you could start out and, and tell the audience uh, a little bit about what Sendoso does for context. Yeah, of course. So Sendoso, we are a sending platform that helps other companies send out corporate gifts, direct mail, swag, personalized gifts, handwritten notes, you name it, we can send it. And we do this through a combination of integrations into your tech stack, like your CRM or your marketing automation platform through a marketplace of all the different gifts or options under one roof. And then we have all the fulfillment and warehousing and sourcing behind the scenes as well. Yeah. So, so what, what kind of uh, things can people send to clients or prospective clients via this? Yeah. So this can be used by sales teams, marketing teams, customer success teams, even HR teams internally. Uh, but you could send, you know, swag and uh, gear like this jacket I'm wearing. That's a North Face with our logo on it. You could send anything. Wine. I could send you a guitar. I could send, you know, a handwritten note. I could send you an Amazon gift card. I could send you you name it, like either we have tens of thousands of, of options and ideas, or we can come up with something and create something super personal. We also have a lot of options that are just one-to-one. Like maybe I want to send you a 49ers beanie. And so that's just a, a one-to-one send based on maybe something of your interests. Well, that, yeah, that sounds awesome. Especially, you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult to kind of, you know, stand out for a salesperson, you know, whether that's like someone you're trying to get in front of or just, you know, maintaining that relationship. And everyone loves swag, right? So, you know, it's, uh, it seems like a very timely idea. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started the company and what that journey was like? For sure. So uh, I started Sendoso about five years ago. Prior to that, spent about a decade in software sales in San Francisco and really saw a few things happen. One was just the saturation of email and people getting like gazillion emails and feeling really spammy as a channel. And so to combat that, I found myself personally sending out handwritten notes or I'd you know, be on a Zoom call and see guitars in the background and say, hey, maybe I should send a cool you know, music-related gift. And just basically thinking about things that I could do to inspire a more human uh, connection in kind of this very digital world we've lived in. And um, ultimately was doing a lot of that and seeing a lot of success manually, like packing boxes, writing notes, grabbing swag from our swag closet. And so I kind of had this epiphany of why isn't there a platform that I can click a button and magically something gets sent and tracked and expensed and, and done for me. And so that was really the aha moment. And then I did some research and saw that a lot of friends and a lot of uh, colleagues would have were really amped to use something like this. And so I said, let's do this. And I jumped in and uh, kind of launched the original version uh, back in 2017. 
Yeah. Now, so we talked a little bit about this um, when we originally kind of spoke in preparation uh, for, for this. And, you know, you, you, were, you were a sales guy. So how did you build the, the software side? Like, how, how did you approach that? And what were some of the challenges around, you know, getting the company started from like a, a non-technical founder standpoint? Yeah. So, yeah. So you're, you're correct that I'm more of a, a, a business major in college, worked in sales for a decade. So no true like engineering or product expertise per se. And so uh, with that, my co-founder was actually also a, an ex-salesperson as well. So two salespeople started uh, the company. And so we needed to find engineering talent to do this. So we found a, an offshore firm through Upwork uh, that was able to build our original version for 5000 bucks. And so I uh, spent most of my time in the early days building the platform via building mockups, designing little uh, user flows, and then working with our engineering team externally to build it all. And so this was maybe more of a unique startup experience with two non-technical founders, but uh, we quickly built a team of engineers and have scaled that team now uh, quite a bit. So what were some of the challenges getting the initial uh, software side of the product built? Yeah, so I think there's a challenge of one, just not having software development experience and so needing to kind of learn on the fly or needing to, you know, I had to build a, a group of advisors to validate some of my theses on like, what's the best programming language or this or that. And so there was a bit of a, of a learning curve there. You know, there was also a, a, a bit of a kind of, I guess, risk involved with having the uh, not having a technical co-founder. And so having two business co-founders was a risk. And there's just learnings around, you know, I thought originally, hey, 5,000 bucks, get version one. You know, it's, even before version one was launched, it was like, okay, we need version two now. There's like 20 things we know we need to build. So I think software is never like a one and done. You're always constantly building or there's bugs or there's features, this and that. How much did it cost you guys to build the first like uh not not just functional but like the legitimate v1 of the product right where yeah so i think like five grand was like our our mvp but then really we needed another probably 20 or 30 grand or maybe 50 grand to build more of like a functional product that we actually were starting to make money off of and so that was really yeah and then but ultimately you know as soon as we launched that, it was, again, back to the drawing board of adding more features, enhancing things, you know, so the, it, there's never, um, never ending. And, you know, now we've got hundreds of engineers. So I'd say maybe 50 grand would be a guesstimate from five years ago for our first usable product. But it probably wasn't until we had a larger team and, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, millions until we have a product that was like full-blown driving millions in revenue. What, what were conversations like at, at that stage with uh, potential investors, especially since, as you mentioned, you, know, you two non-technical founders, like a lot of times that's a non-starter for a lot, of, a lot of investors. But, you know, maybe this is the kind of one kind of product where that can, you know, maybe be, you know, less of an issue since, you know, you're, you were a sales guy, you know, you, you knew what like the opportunity was. Um, so curious, like what those conversations were like. Yeah. So I think the two things I hit on there was one is, as you alluded to, because of my background, because I felt so strongly about the solving this problem and understanding the problem, I was, you know, the best person to build this company that there could be. And so I think there was a bit of, hey, this person knows what he's doing. 
I think the second part is, is we did spend some of our own money in the early days to get to a working product, to get it in the market, to get customers. And then we actually had you know, quite a few paying customers until we asked for external VC money. And so I think that it was unique in that we actually, some companies will go and try to raise money off an idea. We raised money off of a working product that was driving revenue. And then we did so, you know, we had a first batch of about 300,000 in convertible notes that were more of like uh, friends and family and stuff. So that got us to that next milestone where we were able to raise that 2 million seed. By the time we were doing our 2 million seed, we had almost a million in ARR revenue. So we were already at a pretty good place asking for money from investors with great traction. And then, you know, a year after that, or uh, we did our Series A, and then the year after that, a 40 million Series B, and then just recently, a 100 million Series C. And so I think the big thing was we invested our own money till we got traction and, and revenue, you know, spoke for itself. Right. Well, and, and you know, so this is the kind of product where the software side, you know, seems like it's, it's just one piece and the piece you need it to have in, in place first. But I, I can imagine like the, the way that your company likely would have progressed was, you know, you probably were like starting off as like a middleman between you know the, the people who need the swag and the people who make the swag. But it seems like the no-brainer evolution of, of that idea would be to get into actually helping companies make their own personalized swag as well so that you have multiple you know, like, uh, revenue streams. Is, is that how the company has evolved? In some sense, I think, I think uh, outside of being the middleman, we were actually the logistics layer as well. So we out the gate operated some warehouses and so that was kind of unique that we're building software that is, you know, a SaaS platform that's used by, you know, sales teams, customer facing teams, et cetera. We're also building software behind the scenes to orchestrate the delivery and handwritten notes and everything for our warehouse. And then we're building software that helps us with the sourcing and supply chain. So there's a lot of things behind the scenes that maybe you wouldn't see. So you're correct in that there's uh, ample opportunities to dive into kind of the sourcing and manufacturing side. But we've uh, historically mostly focused on the logistics and the, the SaaS side and less on actual like manufacturing and left that to the experts. Right. Okay. Well, so on the logistics side, did, did, did your, your other co-founder, did he have a background on that? So you guys had to learn all that. That was something we figured out our, ourselves. There's a little trial and error in the very early days. We had kind of we kind of rented a small space, probably the size of a bedroom, for kind of launch. And then like a week after that, we were already out of space. And then we had to move. And then like a month after that, we moved again. And then like six months after that, we moved. And then we opened up in a whole. We we moved from Las Vegas to Phoenix. And then we moved in. Uh, so it went from probably about a thousand square feet to now our largest facility is about uh, 190,000 square feet, uh, 190,000 for just our one. And then we have one, two, three, four, six other facilities that are kind of co-run too. So quite the difference in terms of what, you know, day one was. And, and that is really hard to showcase to our customers because there's just such a immense scale behind the scenes. You know, it's football field size warehouses that are you know, multiple Costco's kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, I can imagine. So I mean, I'm curious, like, how has your um, business model evolved as you've grown? Um, you know, I don't think our business model has vastly evolved. We've changed our pricing a little bit in terms of how we package this. I think when we first launched, you know, for the first six months, we were like, 
it's free-ish. Like, will you pay us to use this? You know, and it was almost nothing, but we were just trying to get, gauge product market fit. And then we transitioned into kind of a per user model and like a platform and user model. And then, you know, there's uh, customers pay for like the gifts and all that, but that just comes secondarily. So our business model hasn't necessarily evolved. We've just maybe uh, evolved our platform in terms of just the ease of of reporting and integrations and, and how you can track how much you've spent and the ROI and all those things. You know, what was your strategy to, to drive like an initial traction? So it was a mix of, you know, friends that I knew that should use this. So I got my friends on first. It was then pretty quickly building an outbound engine. And so really uh, get, making sure that we could have SDRs and AEs really um, outbound and find new prospects and then layer on marketing on top of that. So we really quickly built an outbound function. Now we have maybe 100, 100-ish people on the sales team. Um, and our SDR function is just world-class in terms of driving outbound. In addition to our inbound marketing strategy and our partner marketing strategy, but I think the biggest thing day one was how do we just do you know, cold outreach? So do you guys send a lot of gifts? Exactly. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently just when you were first getting going? I think maybe I would have. Uh, it's a tough question. I think I, I'm very happy with where we are today. So there's nothing that stands out. Things that maybe would have made life easier. Maybe investing in recruiting earlier because now we're about 500 people. And so there's, I think recruiting is such a key component. So building a really strong recruiting engine out the gate. I think we've built a really strong team around the globe. And I think that was smart. I would do that again. We, um, if I were to do it again, you know, I think, uh, honestly, I think we've uh, hit, hit the nail on the head when I think about how we've, how we've scaled. So not a lot of mistakes, but other things that we've done well that I would do again, if I had a chance. Yeah, sure. Well, what, what about how, like, like, can you walk us through what, like how, what your experience around fundraising has been at the different stages? Yeah. So I think, you know, seed stage when we were raising 2 million, it was really a teeny bit of traction mixed with how do we sell the dream of the category we're creating and the opportunity. And so I think that was the seed stage. And that was really just trying to get 2 million bucks. Series A about, I think it was six months after that was really, okay, now we have traction. We had, I think at a series A, we had about 5 million in, in, in ARR. And so it was, hey, this works. We have the team now to prove it. And so it was really betting on the team that we could get to the next stage. And then, you know, when we raised our 40 million Series B about a year after that, it was, okay, you've got revenue, you've got traction, you've got a great team. Let's put fuel on the fire to see that grow. And then, you know, this recent 100 million, that's like, let's pour a lot more fuel. This is way bigger than we could have dreamed of. And let's build this into a, you know, a decabillion dollar company as quick as possible. Yeah, that's great. What have, what's been like your, the thing you've, you've enjoyed most about starting your own business? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's the people. I think interacting and building a team of just amazing people have been my, uh, the funnest thing for me. I think it's a combination of just seeing people do their best work, creating a culture that people love, you know, coming to work and, and love doing um, amazing stuff and, and inspiring others. So I think, you know, most entrepreneurs, it's all about the people. And I think that's what I really uh, find passion in. I think solving this problem for our customers is probably cl- a very close second. And I think that customers are the lifeblood of, of our company. 
But I think, you know, people and customers are, are my two favorite things. What are, um, you know, for a lot of listeners out there, they may be, you know, looking to, to start their first business and there's always a little bit of, of fear and uncertainty there. What are some of the qualities that a person should, you know, be asking themselves, you know, to be honest with themselves about, you know, whether or not they have, you know, the, the qualities that it takes to be a, a good entrepreneur? What, what are some of those in your opinion? Yeah, so I think there's, um, you know, the ability to uh, manage like a thousand different things at once. So in the early days, you're like, you're doing finance one minute, then you're doing engineering one minute, then you're doing product one minute, then you're doing sales one minute, then you're doing legal one minute, then you're doing HR one minute. So being able to kind of operationalize and, and operate in a world where there, you have an infinite to-do list across an infinite amount of tasks, I just get good at kind of departmentalizing that. And so in the early days, it was really good to use like an Asana to say, hey, here's the million things I need to do. Here's the five or 10 things I'm going to get done this week. And that's fine. I know there's another you know million things after, but being good at, at kind of organization and planning, I think is key. I think it's also, there's lots of ups and downs. And so it's how do you celebrate the ups and learn from the downs and, and keep momentum going and, and, you know, build on the kind of the small wins as I think that, you know, uh, you'll, you're going to get, you know, uh, times where you're going to have uh, customer issues or you're going to have an investor that says no to you. So how can you, you know, uh, be okay with, you know, uh, something not going according to plans and bounce back. And so I think resilience is kind of a key to that. Where did you, so you speak about kind of the, the, the chaotic nature, especially early on of, you know, getting a business going and being pulled in a lot of different um, directions. Looking back on it, did you have, uh, whether or not they were consciously implemented at the time or not, uh, but did you have any daily habits that allowed you to, to be more productive and, and to, to get to those you know, myriad of tasks? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just task management and putting all my tasks in Asana and being able to go back to that at any time. I think that's key because I think you can be mentally overwhelmed with a million things to do. So just like filing it away in your, your to-do list and knowing you'll get to it once was important. And then I think like the second thing is, you know, daily, my, my co-founder and I, back when we were a small company, would think about what were the wins of the day and let's celebrate those. And so we were conscious about, you know, the smallest of small things and high-fiving and celebrating that and, you know, doing happy hours as much as possible so that we could, you know, have that kind of adrenaline rush of positivity as much as possible. Yeah. Well, and for sure, early on, there's a lot, you know, a lot of small wins to, to celebrate. But what are the, some of the things that, you know, like being candid, like that actually suck about starting your own business or, you know, being a CEO or, you know, being a founder? Yeah. So I think in the early days, it sucks that you want to build an amazing platform and engineering just takes a long time, especially when you only have a handful of engineers. So I think you've got to be patient because it sucks wanting to add like 10 new features that you know a customer is going to want. And you're just like, that's going to be like six months. So I think there's just the engineering velocity that kind of sucks in the early days. I think there's a time where you don't know product market fit, pricing market fit, to where you're just like throwing shit at the wall. And like, hopefully, like this messaging works, this tagline works, this pricing works. And so you're constantly like, not sure. So there's just a lot of uncertainty, which kind of sucks. And you're just like crossing your fingers at times. 
I think so that's kind of uh, tough. I think even recruiting in the early days can be tough because you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a good brand, you don't have a lot of resources, and you're competing against a gazillion other opportunities. So recruiting can suck in the early days. You know, I think that it can suck when you're, you know, having a, a bad day because there's, you know, you are, you know, something could go wrong. And if you're, you know, it, it extrapolates it because, you know, everyone at the company is looking for positive momentum and, you know, one thing can be a huge impact. And so you can't really, you know, things are going to F up and that could be a headache of how do we fix this quick? Because you don't have the resources. I mean, burn rate, you know, stressing around, do you have enough money to, to eight months left, 10 months left? What is that going to look like? And then you're probably not paying yourself that much either. So how are you, you know, risking great pay that you could get working at another company for starting your own and not making a lot of money? Right. How have you approached planning for the, you know, the business's future and how, how has that evolved over time? Yeah. So I think it's just depending on the stage. I mean, in the early days, it was, can we get enough customers? Can we get enough revenue? Can we get to the next funding milestone? And so planning was really around, can we get this, you know, this customer revenue? Can we get this retention? Can we hire these key hires? And so I think it's stage by stage. You know, now it's a much more of like, we have a, uh, an OKR framework for objectives and key results. And we've got, you know, company-wide OKRs and then department OKRs, and they all roll up together. We have a business ops and a chief of staff that kind of oversees this. So we have multiple people that just care about managing our, our metrics and our milestones. And so it's a whole other story today. But I think, you know, if it's like Series A, Series C, even Series B, there's just like certain milestones that you just got to, you know, really press on the gas for and get there. And like, how have you thought about, you know, the type of team you want to build and culture that you, you want to have in place? And has that changed over time? So I think our culture, we've we've tried to keep that constant and kind of evolve it over the years. And I think now we can we have more resources to come up with core values and other areas where we have dedicated people on the you know people team that are uh, focused on ways that we can showcase these and inspire our team more. So I think there it, it is important to come up with core values in the early days and come up with unique perks and other you know operating frameworks so that the company has some kind of culture and identity. And then I think it's important to evolve those or, you know, invest in those over the years as the company scales. And then I think that the best companies are cognizant of their their culture and, and how that grows with them over time. All right. Now, you, you guys, you're at Series C level at this point, right? You raised 100 million in your last raise. Uh, so you're kind of at that point where, you know, the company's not going to go away. Right. I mean, the company's obviously been, you know, fairly successful. You know, like I, I don't know what your ultimate goal is if it's to go, you know, public or, you know, what. And you probably couldn't disclose that anyway. But <laughs> I am curious, like, what are, like, what are you afraid of from a, from a, you know, a business standpoint now? Like, what is the, you know, not necessarily that it keeps you up at night, but, you know, what's the thing that gnaws at you that, you know, makes you fearful for the future of the business? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think at, at, our, at my stage right now, it's really, you know, we have product market fit, we have the money, we we built the category, we're leading this category. And so it's really about execution. You know, if we can continue doing what we're doing well as a company, you know, like you said, over the next couple of years, we'll be in a position where we can do whatever we want in terms of, you know, if it's an IPO or whatnot, we're going to be a kind of a 
infinity and beyond in terms of our growth. And so I think it's uh, the execution piece, making sure that you know we don't get in in the way of ourselves and we just continue to execute. And I think it's at the end of the day, it's people too. So how do we make sure that we're um, hiring the best people, inspiring the best people, keeping the best people? And so at the I think people are are the foundation to any great uh, product that's being built. And so I think that you know we're going to go from you know maybe 500ish people this year to in the 900s so quite a big year of growth almost doubling um, the team again and so that just uh, that's just challenging to especially in these uh, current hiring markets that are harder than ever to hire in. Yeah. Well, so speaking of that I always kind of like to to finish this up, you know, in case you know there's a listener out there who, you know, is interested potentially in joining the the Sendoso team. What kind of skill sets are you you looking for, and and then could you sort of give uh you know what's your pitch to someone who's thinking about you know like moving into a, a, a new role somewhere and they're you know they've they've heard about what you guys do and, and where you are you know what what's your pitch for joining the the team? Yeah, so we are hiring across the board, whether you're in engineering or finance or product or sales. I think we have hundreds of positions open. So uh, I'm sure if there's a listener here that is inspired by wanting to join Sendoso, like we'll have a role for you. And really, you know, the reason I think to join Sendoso is that we've got a, a really fun company culture. Our product's impactful for, you know, all different types of, of people, whether you're in sales, marketing, success, HR, people, teams, across the board, we make a huge impact. We've got really interesting challenges was, as it relates to you know, a, a global marketplace, all these financial transactions, logistics and fulfillment, SaaS platform. So there's uh, a huge amount of stuff that can be built on our platform. Um, and we're, you know, category defining company. We built this category, we invented it, we're the leaders in it, and we're just continuing to scale. So uh, I think it's kind of that perfect time to join the company and, and see us on this rocket ship journey. Now, is the whole company based in the Bay Area or have you guys... It's not. No, we have uh, people based in Bay Area, in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. We have a recent office in Dublin, Ireland. We have an office in Lower Pakistan, and we have people remote across the entire U.S. too. So great. Well, so for anyone listening out there, where uh, you know where like Sendoso.com and check out the careers page. Yeah, Sendoso.com. If they want to personally connect with me, find me on LinkedIn or even email me. It's Chris K R I S at Sendoso.com. Excellent. Well, Chris, it's been great having you on today. And any last words? Yeah. I mean, like I said, we're hiring. So if you're looking to join a new company, come join us. Or if you're looking to start your company, like today's the day, get out there and uh, do it. There's no better time to, to start a company than today. Excellent. And of course, if you've already got a company and you're looking to add some you know, uh, gift giving to your sales and marketing strategy, definitely uh, reach out to, to Chris at Sendoso there. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks you so much for, for joining us and, you know, uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I'll see you later. Thanks. Mm-hmm.